My name's Scott Ledford, and I'm the Chief Operating Officer at CMDA. I'm still relatively new to the organization, having only joined the ministry in April 2022 following a 27-year career in the manufacturing industry. Suffice it to say, my move to CMDA was a major life change, but for several years I'd been feeling God leading my steps down a different path. And after much prayer and consultation with my family and Christian mentors, he opened the door and allowed me to become part of this incredible organization. Since joining CMDA, I've had the opportunity to get acquainted with our various ministries and with our amazing staff and many volunteers, to get to know their hearts and witness the amazing work being done through CMDA to further Christ's kingdom. I never imagined I would be part of an organization on the front lines of so many critical issues facing Christians in today's society. Issues such as providing healthcare to the underserved and unreached around the world, fighting for the rights of the unborn and elderly, and helping provide support to Christian healthcare professionals who are being marginalized because of their faith, just to name a few. It's truly humbling to work alongside physicians, dentists, and staff from all walks of life who are united in serving Christ through their work here at CMDA. This ministry, which is nearly 100 years old, is needed more now than at any time in its history. I truly believe God is using CMDA in a great and mighty way, and that's why I believe CMDA matters. I pray you'll consider a special gift during CMDA's year-end giving campaign, and God bless you. Hi, this is Dr. Mike Chupp, and you are listening to CMDA Matters, the weekly podcast of the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. Well, just last week, we saw the devastating results in this year's elections, particularly in the state of Ohio, where voters accepted a constitutional amendment that offers nearly unlimited abortion access and adds the right to abortion to that Ohio state constitution. And if the experts and political pundits are right, this dangerous new amendment uh, to the state of Ohio's constitution is only the beginning, as they anticipate more and more states following in their footsteps as they seek to enshrine the right to abortion after the fall of Roe v. Wade in our U.S. Supreme Court. Some may find it incredibly disheartening to see these results in Ohio and other states, and I've heard such testimonies on various podcasts that I listen to, but especially for our CMDA members who are trying so hard to defend their patients by educating others and speaking up, being courageous against amendments and bills like this. But for us here at CMDA, we know that our efforts are not in vain. And we remain faithful in our efforts to protect the vulnerable because we have the God of truth and the God of compassion on our side. As healthcare professionals, we know that abortion is simply, it's not healthcare. And as Christians in healthcare, we know that our advocacy work is being upheld by the powerful spirit of our Lord Jesus. And he is the one who will make the difference. Well, that's why it's so fitting that today's episode is an interview with Dr. Sandy Christensen. She's an OBGYN physician who is the National Medical Director for CareNet, one of the largest networks of pregnancy centers in North America. 
she recently wrote an article for our CMDA Today magazine about how to help patients who are navigating unplanned pregnancies. So we decided to invite her to join us and share more about her article and the impact pregnancy centers are making in today's post-Roe America. I want to thank you for listening today to CMDA Matters. So let's jump into this interview to hear more about how you could get involved in protecting the vulnerable in your community. Well, today on CMDA Matters, it's my privilege uh, to welcome to the microphone my common well, you're not so common, Dr. Barrows. <laughs> I, I, I am. Rather, actually, this, let's go with it. I'm, I'm rather common. It'll give everybody a laugh. So, I have my frequent co-host, Dr. Jeff Barrows, our Senior Vice President of Bioethics and Public Policy, joining me today on CMD Matters because our guest is a fellow of the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, Dr. Sandy Christensen a board-certified OBGYN, a passionate advocate for the sacredness of human life. Uh, She did her residency in OBGYN at the Medical College of uh, Pennsylvania, worked in private practice until feeling passionate and called into doing more full-time pro-life work. She is the national medical director for CareNet, which I believe is uh, the largest pregnancy resource center network in our nation. She's an adjunct professor at Mount St. Mary's uh, University. So thank you for joining us today. And what got us going, what put you on our radar, you've uh, been on one of our webinars in the past with Dallas Theological Seminary with your colleague at CareNet, Roland, I believe. Is that correct? Roland Warren, yes. Mm -hmm. But you wrote an article recently for our CMDA Today Fall magazine entitled, I Can't Be Pregnant. Helping Patients Navigate an Unplanned Pregnancy. And you start that article by telling a story of a woman early on in your practice who didn't know that she was pregnant. And it turns out she was midway through her pregnancy. And you told that story to let others, even non-OBGYNs, know that even an OBGYN can be unprepared to deal with a crisis pregnancy. So how common is it for pro-life uh, healthcare individuals, professionals, to find themselves unprepared when they encounter a crisis pregnancy? I, you know, I don't have a data point on this, but I have to think that if myself, as you said, as an OBGYN, came up short, that other healthcare professionals, even outside the field of OB, would have trouble as well and be feel similarly kind of ill-equipped. So, which is why I was so happy to be able to write that article and get some of that information out there. So briefly, what do you, what do you recommend for those who would face such a crisis like you did? You know, as best as we can, we spend so many years getting educated. We like to be proactive, don't we, as, as physicians and other healthcare professionals. And so, Think about it in advance and kind of put together a plan. And so, you know, some of that involves finding out who or where is your closest pregnancy center, you know, get their contact information, you know, have that at the ready, you know, uh, at the very least. So this is sort of a bare bones. And then think as you meet your patients, both your the women that you meet and the men that you meet in your practices, consider incorporating a reproductive history, even if you know, you're an orthopod, you know, orthopedics, you know, it's like, well, 
she, you need to know if she's pregnant, right? Or you need, you know, say, well, I wouldn't necessarily ask a man if he's having knee surgery, but hey, you might get to know and say, how are you doing? Are you involved, you know, in a relationship? Oh, is, is your partner pregnant? And then really screening, screening, thinking, you know what, I, I'm not going to put anybody in a box, anybody, any woman can be at risk for making an abortion decision. So I'm going to ask the question. I'm going to screen. I'm going to see how does she feel about this? Like, what are your plans for this pregnancy? And, oh, you know, we can't wait. We're excited to not sure. And sometimes there's going to be a reluctance. I think another key thing is educating for, so these are kind of my top points. If you only have a little bit of time, you know, know where your pregnancy center is. Find out, first of all, she's pregnant or or his girlfriend's pregnant, do they are they considering abortion? Give them pregnancy center referral. Find out, make sure they understand it's important to get an ultrasound. Okay, whether that's something you can order or the pregnancy center will do it because nowadays with abortion pills being available in all 50 states, regardless of the laws, women are getting these pills without really any clinical supervision, whether they, you know, they haven't ruled out an ectopic, they haven't ruled in a viable pregnancy, they could be, you know, in the process of having a miscarriage that hasn't been diagnosed and so on. So, you know, and then the last thing really is think about planting the seed for the abortion pill reversal hmm. and, and giving some, you know, some resources for that. And I can give websites and so on later, but that's a thumbnail sketch. Another resource, if you're just so short of time that you don't have time to do any chatting and trying to feel her out is to recommend Karen's pregnancy decision line. Men and women can find a coach who's ready to listen, to um, hear their story and provide life-affirming support. Mm-hmm. Those are some things that come to mind. I know that seems like a lot, but I, I also would refer them to the article and it has a little tear out with a sort of a toolkit. Hopefully, Sandy, all of our members that are listening to this podcast, if they haven't read the article yet, they will go and find it because it is quite informative, even for me as an OBGYN. And that really leads into my next question, because in the article, you cite several statistics that were somewhat surprising to me as an OBGYN that practiced almost 20 years. And the one that really stuck out to me was that about 50% of pregnancies are unplanned. I would not have said that high a number. And they're therefore at risk of abortion. One in every four women who've had an abortion by age 45 and over 50% of those obtaining an abortion report some type of Christian affiliation. So you conclude uh, that section by stating that every a quote, every woman is at risk for abortion. And you alluded that uh, to that a little bit in your previous answer, but I'd like you to expand on that a little bit for us, if you could. I'd be glad to. So, yeah, they are shocking statistics. Uh, they come from the Guttmacher Institute, which was formerly the research arm for Planned Parenthood. Um, the reality is there is no demographic that is immune to abortion. I have personally seen the young teens, to the married professional, the atheist, to the evangelical Christian, they all had one thing in common. They were seeking an abortion. Hmm. And it's often the professing Christian that will surprise herself and say, I never thought, I never thought I would consider it. And I'm reminded of um, a quote that Frederica Matthews Green is famous for that 
she's interviewed thousands of women, right, hundreds of women. I don't know if it's in the thousands who've made that abortion decision. And she says that women often choose abortion in the same way that an animal chooses to gnaw off its leg to get out of a trap. And and I, you know, I always like to bring it home and to think, okay, you know, I'm going to face tough times. I face tough times that rock my world and challenge my faith to my core. And so I don't want to be judging folks, but I, I think we need to be aware. We need to be aware. And I think that's why it's so important for our, our healthcare professionals to kind of <laughs> realize that everyone needs screening and not to make any assumptions. You know, Sandy, I, I have a couple of uh, daughters who are, I would say, I would call them pro-life warriors. And and one of their observations over the last several years in the U.S., having been to a new number of churches and heard pastors and lay leaders, one of the critiques is that the church pastors really don't talk about life, don't really talk about life-affirming principles very much. So I, I want to ask, how can our lay leaders, our pastors, how can those who are listening, our members and supporters who go to church, who are maybe leaders in their churches, encourage their pastors to be more life-affirming? That is an excellent, excellent question and something that Ron Warren has given a lot of thought to, and we have Karen has a bunch of resources I do want to reference, but it really, I think the key to creating a culture of life in the church is to have a practical program, to have an on-ramp where uh, on a Sunday morning, a woman who's got a positive pregnancy test and is not good news, she should know who she can go to to turn for help. And so many churches don't have that on-ramp. And so unfortunately, they then turn to the abortion clinics in, in, in many cases. So one of the the um, tools, so to speak, that that we have is Karen has built this uh, Making Life Disciple curriculum that churches can take and treat and teach it as a Sunday school class and folks within the church really get equipped to know how to come alongside these women and men. How can I, how can I help them within from within the congregations and also the referrals from the, the local pregnancy centers? And we do that at at, uh, at my church and it's a beautiful thing because you know, ultimately, you know, the pregnancy center can do only so much. Um, they're not going to be there walking through life, that discipleship, you know, that that's what it takes. And it's so important to be mindful. Anytime I speak at a church, I always am aware that sitting there in those chairs and the pews mm-hmm. are women and men who've been affected by abortion, who have that in their history. It's part of their story. And so there again, there, there needs to be that healing, I think, within the church and so Karenet does have abortionrecovery.org is a great resource to um, and there's tons of you know books we have the forgiven and set free bible study reclaiming fatherhood bible study things that can really help folks you know get past that pain that they have in their life um and then I think the last thing to mention is and this is something Roland has just put together a little ebook on but he's the whole idea that the church has all kinds of folks. And so being able to have intelligent conversations with those individuals, I think will begin to maybe break down some of those barriers. So he does have an ebook that I can, you know, we can, it's available on our website, but if there's more interest there, and I don't want this to sound like an infomercial for Karenet, but it just so happens we've thought through a lot of these issues and have intentionally created resources. 
Sandy, another thing that's really surprised me in this informative article was that you've done a survey, a LifeWay survey, that revealed that the second most influential person in a crisis pregnancy decision after the father of the baby was the personal healthcare professional of the patient. And that that really did surprise me. So can you tell us a little bit more about this LifeWay survey that you've undertaken through CareNet and why the personal healthcare physician or professional has such a powerful influence in this critical decision? So we've actually uh, contracted with LifeWay on several occasions. I've done a number of surveys, and in this particular one, was from 2015 and surveyed uh, over a thousand American women, sample matched demographically and all of that. And the one stipulation was they had to have had abortion in their past. And so the endpoints really were teasing out how the church did or didn't play a role or was or wasn't helpful. And then the father of the baby, but they asked a series of questions and, and, and lo and behold, I was surprised like you, by the findings. One of the ones I want to mention, which backs up to what I just said, over a third were attending church at the time of their abortion. And so there's a huge missed opportunity there. And then one of the questions was, with whom did you discuss the pregnancy termination decision? Father of the baby, number one, and over half a medical professional other than the abortion provider who was you know, down um, less than a third there. And then the second significant question was, which of the following was the most influential on your decision to terminate? Father of the baby, number one, medical professional, number two. So basically when I saw these stats, I thought, wow, we need to spread the word. I don't think that I realized how significant uh, the medical professional profession is in that decision. And it's, it's, it's not uncommon. It's similar in my mind a little bit to the trafficking issue that we're seeing these folks all the time. But unless you know what to look for, you can miss them. And so I think it's a great light bulb and it's a great flashlight to pinpoint, hey, you, we can make a difference. We can make a difference in this. Mm-hmm. I would have said, well, prior to seeing this statistic, I would have said we probably don't make much difference, but uh, this is a, an entirely different finding. Yeah. So it's encouraging to us as Christian healthcare professionals. Mm-hmm. So, well, you've briefly mentioned uh, the whole issue of chemical abortion and abortion pill reversal, and I really want to change the the conversation a little bit to address that, since especially the fact that now we're seeing that over half of elective abortions are occurring through the administration of mifepristone and misoprostol, which are the the, uh, chemicals used in chemical abortion, uh, rather than surgery. So this has been a profound change in the last uh, 10 to 15 years. So it raises the potential of an intervention that has become known as abortion pill reversal, or APR for short. So, uh, Sandy, can you briefly outline what's involved with APR? The very first step in the abortion pill reversal is to recognize that there are women who change their minds. They're out there. In fact, this whole thing started, it wasn't uh, something that was um, imagined in the pro-life community. It was women reaching out to their family doctors, desperate to rescue their pregnancies after they'd taken the mifepristone. Mm. And so women came asking for help. And so 
Dr. Delgado and Dr. Harrison, they were two of the docs who first trialed this. Um, basically what's involved is understanding that mifepristone is a potent progesterone blocker. And we know that progesterone is absolutely critical for establishing and maintaining a pregnancy. Without it, the embryo's attachment to the uterus is lost, robbing the baby of the nutrients and eventually resulting in his or her death. So I said eventually because uh, studies have shown that there is a window of opportunity that the baby doesn't die right away from the mifepristone. And so when you administer progesterone, you can outcompete the mifepristone for the progesterone receptors, restore the normal hormonal, hormonal milieu, and pregnancy is, is rescued. And so the protocol involves um, ideally um, getting, a, it's less than 72 hours from when the time the woman first took the mifepristone. Mm -hmm. Ideally, she gets an ultrasound to verify that she still has a viable pregnancy. She's prescribed the progesterone following the protocols outlined by Dr. Delgado and others. And it involves taking the progesterone throughout the first trimester, getting weekly ultrasound exams until the placenta is well-established. So that's the essence of the protocol. Well, I know you're well aware that ACOG and uh, various abortion advocacy groups have worked hard and are still working very hard to stop the promotion and utilization of APR around the country. And even to the point where uh, some states, uh, Colorado comes to mind, uh, have even convinced their legislators to say that it's criminal to use APR, which is astounding to me because it simply, as you said, consists of the same exact hormone that is produced in pregnancy. But that's a whole nother matter. So how do you usually respond to these criticisms that seem so common? And then how would you have our primary care healthcare professionals learn how to utilize this form of pregnancy rescue? As you said, it's a natural hormone part of every pregnancy. It's been used for decades to reduce the risk of miscarriage. Natural progesterone has, it's used in in vitro fertilization cycles and many other applications. It has an excellent safety profile. Off-label use of medicine is a legitimate practice. Those are some things I would cite. I would reference Dr. Delgado's 2018 study that had 261 live births after using the progesterone with a success rate of 68% compared to the observational group, meaning no intervention other than she took the mifeprestone and let's see what happens, 20, only 25% embryo or fetal survival, no increased risk of birth defects. I mean, those are, those are the facts. Um, and and it's, it's interesting that this is being called into question in terms of the science, because it's, it's just physiologically makes sense. Interestingly, mifepristone was approved without a randomized control trial. Dr. Delgado is actually working on one, and you can check out his website, stenoinstitute.org, and that's one place I would direct family docs and other doctors who would like to get involved with this. So when I think about why would somebody object to this, you know, when you've got early evidence that it's, it's very promising, there's no other solution it's got a great safety profile. So I would ask legislators to say, why don't you call for more research? Because this looks like a good thing. But we know they're getting influenced by others. And so this, let's talk about the ACOG randomized controlled trial of barely a handful of patients that was halted prematurely because 
of complications and said, oh, APR is, is not safe. Well, if you look at that study, the non-treatment group, the placebo group, that was the group that had the higher complication rate, suggesting, if not clearly indicating that, to take mifepristone alone is not safe. Mm-hmm. And it really, the, the progesterone arm, there was a 67% viable pregnancy rate, there was one failed pregnancy that ended up, um, she just had a spontaneous abortion, didn't require any DNC or transfusions in contrast to the placebo group, which required, folks required an, um, a transfusion and a DNC. So, you know, it's, if you're going to start pointing fingers at what's junk science, I would take a closer look at that study before I would draw any meaningful conclusions from it. Sandy, I'm so proud uh, to be associated with CMDA and OBGYNs like yourself and Dr. Barrows and so many of our members across the country who serve as medical directors of PRCs and within CareNet and other systems. And that is just so awesome. And I pray God's blessing over over your involvement there and fitting that in. But in your article, you point out you don't have to be an OBGYN to be a medical director of a PRC. Now, Tell us a little bit about what that entails, and also in these days when there's so much of a focus and attacks on the legitimacy of PRCs. Well, you all know, because you graduated medical school and you got your license that says physician and surgeon, right? And I know, Dr. Chupp, you are a general surgeon, uh-huh. and Dr. Barrows, you also are a surgeon. But we all don't have the same credentials. We don't have the same um, specializations. Ideally, you know, OBs, family practice, radiologists, internists, ER docs, maybe pediatricians are ideally suited because they have more of that reproductive health care background, but that doesn't preclude other physicians from other um, specialties from participating and being involved in pregnancy center work and volunteerism. So, you know, NIFLA, which is another um, pro-life Pregnancy Center Affiliation Organization, and it's an acronym for National Institute of Family and Life Advocates, they've developed an online curriculum that physicians may take a course that is based on the American Institute of Ultrasound Medicine guidelines that equips healthcare professionals, physicians, advanced care professionals like nurse practitioners and physician assistants to be ready to interpret limited obstetrical ultrasounds, which is what we are doing in our pregnancy centers. So yes, it is possible. You know, other possibilities are, you know, let's say you're an ophthalmologist and you really want to be involved, you have a strong pro-life interest. And so you say, I'll be the medical director um, and, you know, I will write a standing order for the ultrasound, but I'm going to ask another one of my colleagues to read the ultrasounds and and now, you know, there is an on-ramp for nurse practitioners and physicians assistants to actually be um, equipped to do that. And one of our board members, Sandy, is an orthopedic surgeon. And one of the pride and joys of his career yes. is uh, he's a medical director and uh, and in a thriving PRC right in the middle of a massive state university. So uh, he enjoys Name that. Drop, doc, is that Dr. Brick Lance? That's Dr. Brick Lance. That absolutely. Go Brick. Yes, How would you is. know? I don't know. He's just a passionate pro-life guy, right? <laughs> so case in point, great, great, great example. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you for the shout out. Cause I'm telling you pregnancy centers around the country have a difficult time finding medical directors and it's getting harder all the time. Yeah. 
Well, as you know, Sandy, along with most of our members, there is a uh, a prominent federal lawsuit that is against the FDA and its approval of Mifeprex. But the question I want to ask you is, through your, your personal experience and your network, how familiar are you that patients may present to the emergency room with spontaneous bleeding after taking Mifeprex, and then they fail to acknowledge that on the perception that they may be judged. And so what would happen is that they would be discharged as uh, having a spontaneous AB rather than a a chemical elective abortion. Dr. Bears, I'm going to fall back on the, the 2021 study that spanned over you know, 15 years and looked at ER visits and just for some data there and of following medication and surgical abortions and found that the the uh, medication chemical abortion folks had twice the rate of ER visits. And interestingly, that study also found that, as you just said, uh, about the, um, the miscoding of the uh, abortion as a spontaneous abortion or what's commonly known as a miscarriage. And so we have to wonder was to your point, was that, did the patient ask for that to be done? Was it an oversight on the clinician's part? Did the patient fail to report? And, you know, it makes me think if the rhetoric that we hear from the pro-abortion side is that my body, my choice, if that were true, then women were neutral on their abortion decision, what would keep them from disclosing that? Why would they withhold important information from uh, someone who was there working hard to take care of them. And I was reminded of a patient during my training that I'll never forget. She came to the ER, I think with um, pain, abdominal pain and bleeding, and we've, abdominal pain and a fever. And I thought, oh, she's got pelvic inflammatory disease or something. She never disclosed that she had um, had, had an abortion until she was in the ICU, septic. Mm-hmm. And you know, if we had known some of that critical information well in advance, you know, her clinical course might have been very different. So, you know, I think the fear factor is real, and I think we need to have, exercise a great deal of compassion. But I don't have, you know, pregnancy center data, you know, just to kind of respond to that question is just more of what we've seen from the available studies. Sandy, is uh, Dr. Barrows and I and even you and, and others from APLOG, those of us who showed up in Washington, D.C. for the Dobbs case and uh, uh, for the day of oral arguments on December 1st, a couple of Decembers ago, uh, we were preparing ourselves with information on what are the risks of abortion. Abortionists, Planned Parenthood would like everyone to believe that this is a very benign procedure with no problems, no, no significant complications. And yet we know that that isn't the truth. You touch on that in your article. Would you just summarize for our listeners, you know, what are, what are the short and long-term risks that are are absolutely critically, unquestionably documented in the medical literature? Starting with the chemical or pill abortion, um, it has a significant failure rate. It's approved um, for up to 10 weeks from a woman's last menstrual period. At that point, a 7% failure rate based on the, the available data. And if you look into the second trimester, those rates increase. Uh, again, early uh, abortion pill abortions, 1% risk of needing a DNC to stop the bleeding. Increase that to 30% if you're into the second trimester. What about missing an ectopic pregnancy? You know, every OBGYN's, <laughs> you know. Nightmare. Nightmare. Just, you know, I don't know about you, but I was trained, think ectopic. Like, think mm-hmm. snow, mm-hmm. think ectopic. Yeah. 
And so, um, you know, women are being told they're having, they're getting these abortion pills through chats, through overseas pharmacies. Who knows what's going on in their body? Who knows if their gestational age is what they they think it is, you know? And then what if they have twins? I mean, there's just, there's no, this is not medicine. This And, and when I was in training, this would have been malpractice, hands down. And so with this, all this self-managed, you know, and then what about the psychological impact? You know, are the studies being done? I hope, I hope we are, but they're not there now about what does it do to a woman to self-abort effectively, take those pills in the privacy of her own home, and then watch what comes out of her body. We are getting reports through our pregnancy decision line, through our pregnancy centers. Women are frantic. They don't know what to do. They've got this little baby in their hands. And you know, that has to be considered and surely must be uh, have some psychological impact. Other long-term risks that are well-known uh, for surgical and late-term abortion, the data is replete with uh, clinical depression, increased risk, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, behavior, increased substance abuse, relationship impact, breast health. You know, we all know that Carrying your first pregnancy to term, especially before the age 30, reduces your risk of breast cancer. You take that benefit away, the risk is certainly not um, lowered. There's a risk of premature delivery. There's a risk of placenta previa. What about the spiritual impact? You know, I think that is so important. And that's something that, you know, Karenet is very focused on um, expressing the gospel, sharing the gospel and hoping that folks' lives are transformed, they're empowered to choose life, but everyone has a spiritual side. We know we're all made in God's image, and that's that can be significant, and the weight of that burden can go on for years. So those are some things that come to mind. Dr. Christensen, I just want to tell you, uh, I you are an inspiration to me mm-hmm. and to my team. I can speak for them. I just wow. am so thankful and have just nothing but the highest respect for your work with Karenette, And I do want to promise you and I have had discussions before about helping you to find medical directors uh, for the CareNet resource centers around the country. I still want to be of assistance. It's really our team views that as part of our work in advocacy to protect the unborn. So please reach out to us if we can. How can listeners? How can listeners uh, actually find out more and maybe sign up and uh, maybe put a little code for CMDA Matters that they that they learned about this through through CMDA Matters. Oh my goodness! They can email info at care-net.org and say I want to talk to Sandy Christians and I want to be a medical director. That and I will plug them in. I will. We will find them. Also, I know that um, Focus on the Family is starting to collect interested physicians and other healthcare professionals who want to be involved in pro-life work. You know, definitely, you know, contact that group. But you know, the pregnancy center piece. Yeah, contact me. My my email is rather lengthy, so info at care-net.org and just put it in the the subject line. I, I'm so grateful for the support that Christian Medical Dental has given to, and and really the voice and the interest and the time and resources to the sanctity of human life in my work at this level and across the span of of, of our lives. But I, I really have, I've really seen what you're doing and I just, I'm grateful. I'm just gonna, you know, pregnancy centers are amazing. Of course, I'm biased, but you know, we, we just looked at our stats from last year. 
helped over 400,000 people, Mm. $56 million of equivalent of medical. That's across the U.S., Sandy, across the network. Yes. And in in medical services um, alone. So um, material support, 13 million. I mean, it's and the, the Charlotte Lozier Institute gets all of our data and from the three affiliation organizations, Heartbeat and Karenetta and Nifla, and compiles this data in, in an annual report. And they really, you know, they're very careful about how they, um, what value they assign to all of, you know, all of the aspects of what we do. But it's, it's remarkable. So I'm grateful to be part of it. And it's been wonderful chatting with you both. I hope this is going to be an encouragement and um, feel doable for the people listening, for the all the healthcare professionals listening, please, you know, just pray, see how God wants you to be involved. Every person matters. We need all of you. Keep on rescuing those babies. Keep on doing the good work God has for you. Have you heard about freedomtocare.org? It is the hub for CMDA's advocacy work. There you will find resources, ways to get involved, information about active federal bills that we are tracking, and much more. Freedom to Care is focused on educating, encouraging, and equipping citizens to advocate our First Amendment freedoms. Plus, we enable healthcare professionals to uphold life-honoring principles found within traditional Hippocratic medical ethics. For more information, visit freedomtocare.org. That's freedom, the number two, care.org. Like Dr. Barrows and I were saying at the end of this interview, we are so thankful for the work that Dr. Sandy Christensen and others are doing there at CareNet and at pregnancy centers across the country as they're, they're offering compassion and hope and help to anyone who's considering abortion by presenting them with realistic alternatives as well as Christ-centered support. If you would like more information about CareNet or if you are interested in connecting with them in order to find out how you can serve as a medical director or in some other role, just go visit care-net.org. We've also included a link in our show notes for you today. I also wanted to point out some of the other resources that we discussed during our conversation with Sandy, such as the article that she wrote for the fall 2023 edition of CMDA Today, which is our quarterly magazine. That article, which is on the cover of the magazine, is entitled, I Can't Be Pregnant, Helping Patients Navigate an Unplanned Pregnancy. And you can find it also on our website at cmda.org slash cmda today. The most recent editions of CMDA Today are exclusive benefits to our members. So please be sure to log in with your member credentials to access it. And if you're not a member, you can easily join today to get access to this article, as well as a variety of other exclusive member benefits. Just go to cmda.org join. Another great resource is a webinar titled Critical Conversations on Pregnancy After Roe. It's a webinar that we hosted in conjunction with the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary earlier this year. Dr. Christensen joined us for that webinar, along with CareNet's president and CEO, Roland Warren. 
We examine the pastoral and medical support needed by women who have complicated pregnancies in this post-row world. Plus, this webinar offers one and a half hours of continuing education credit. You can find the recording of the webinar and earn those credits in the CMDA Learning Center by going to cmda.org learning. And if you'd like more information about the topic of abortion pill reversal that we discussed today, I want to encourage you just visit abortionpillreversal.com. Among all of our various ministries, CMDA specialty sections give you the unique opportunity to equip, network, and fellowship with colleagues in your specific healthcare specialty. Organized by CMDA members, the sections include the Addiction Medicine Section, the Coalition of Christian Nurse Practitioners, the Psychiatry Section, and more. You can find the full list of sections at cmda.org slash specialty sections. And if you don't see a section for your specialty, new sections are currently under development with CMDA's campus and community ministries. Contact CCM at cmda.org for more information about getting involved or starting a section. Well, I just got back from the annual Global Missions Health Conference where CMDA, we had 12 exhibit booths. And the reason we have so many is because of our specialty sections and had the opportunity to interface with some great leaders in those specialty sections. So check those out, including one that uh, Jamie didn't mention was the Christian Healthcare Executive Collaborative. So hospital leaders, hospital system leaders, clinic leaders across the country, a wonderful fellowship and iron sharpening iron for our healthcare administrative leaders. One of the newest additions to that lineup of specialty sections here at CMDA is the OBGYN specialty section, which seeks to educate, encourage, and equip Christian practitioners in obstetrics, gynecology, and women's health to demonstrate the love and compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ to patients and to their families, to our colleagues, and to our communities, and to the whole world. You can get involved by visiting cmda.org slash OBGYN. As we look ahead to 2024 and the busy legislative season that we fully expect to see as states seek to follow in Ohio's footsteps and codify abortion in their state constitutions, we desperately need CMDA members and supporters and other constituents to join in our advocacy efforts. As a healthcare professional, your voice carries weight, gravitas, and we need that weight and expertise as we stand together to bring the hope and healing of Christ to the world through advocacy. If you'd like to get involved, just visit cmda.org advocacy. You can also contact CMDA's advocacy and communications team by emailing advocacy at cmda.org. Well, next week, we are actually going to drop our regular episode a day early on Wednesday in order to give you time to listen if you choose before you celebrate Thanksgiving with your friends and family. Hey, if you want to 
play the podcast and listen with your family after that big meal that you're going to have, go ahead. I'll be joined by author Rosaria Butterfield for another special video episode of CMDA Matters. I hope that you'll take the time to watch and maybe invite your family to join you. As always, if you want to suggest a future guest for our podcast, you can just email us here at cmdamatters at cmda.org. And if you like our podcast, please be sure to give us a five-star rating. By doing that, you put us higher up on the, on the queue for others to find, other healthcare professionals to find when they're looking for something like this. And then also share us on your favorite social media platform. As I close out this week's episode, I want to share a scripture verse that Dr. Sandy Christensen included in the article that she wrote for the recent CMDA Today article. It's Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, a great sanctity of life scripture, which says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Human life is uniquely precious made in the image of God and worthy of our protection. And as reflected in this verse, friends, we see our value even before the womb. I'm so thankful for the thousands and thousands of Christian healthcare professionals, just like Dr. Sandy Christensen, who see the value of human life, who are speaking truth in love, and who are showing compassion to all of their patients. The most important thing that we can do for our patients is to share genuinely the hope that we have and to introduce them to Jesus Christ. And as we do so, we will bring the hope and healing of Christ to our world. That's what matters to CMDA, friends. And CMDA matters. God bless you this weekend. We'll see you next week, God willing. This podcast has been a production of the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. The opinions expressed by guests on this podcast are not necessarily endorsed by the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. CMDA is a nonpartisan organization that does not endorse political parties or candidates for public office. The views expressed on this podcast reflect judgments regarding principles and values held by CMDA and its members and are not intended to imply endorsement of any political party or candidate.